Good morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Acts. If you're unfamiliar with your way around the Bible, um, then I have a couple of suggestions for you. One is sort of if you go to the middle of the Bible and then to the right, that's the New Testament. There'll be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, chapter 4. Otherwise, if you don't have a Bible, you can find the Bible in the pew back in front of you, uh, and then you can find this reading on page 885, 885 in that particular Bible, Acts chapter 4. You find us this morning on this uh, this Mother's Day morning, you find us uh, in the middle of our series called Live Like It Matters, Live Like It Matters, because I've yet to meet someone who says, you know, I, I want my wife, my life to be a total waste. I, I don't really want to have any significance. I don't, I don't really want to do much. I, I just really want to get through. No, people want to live a life that actually matters, that has value, that has significance, particularly on a day like today when we reflect on mothers and motherhood and we reflect on how our mothers had a significant and ongoing impact and effect on our lives. We all want to live lives of significance, lives that actually matter. You know, this morning, as I was making my way here, as the, as the sun was starting to, to rise, and I went to Starbucks, which is my normal routine on a Sunday morning in order to get fueled up for the day, and I made, I made my way there, um, and, and I didn't have the radio on, I don't usually, and I was just kind of making my way to the office, and then I I had in my head, in my, in my mind, this song. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Fight Song. It's, it's, a, it's a pop song. Um, and, and you say, well, I really hope my pastor has more spiritual things in his mind on the way to church on a Sunday. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, this is where I, where I am. And the reason, it, it, it's purposeful, I think. And, and the reason is this. Let me give you some of the lyrics. And, and, and I'm tempted to sing it for you, but I want to keep my job and I want you to come back. So it goes this way, this is my fight song, take back my life song, prove I'm all right song, ong, right? That's how it goes. My power turned on, starting right now, I'll be strong. I'll play my fight song, and I don't really care if nobody else believes, because I've still got a lot of fight left in me, right? It's an inspiring anthem is what it is. It's, it's, if you listen to the song, you just want to go, yes, I'm fighting, I don't know what against, but I'm going to fight, take my life back. <laughs> and we need these, don't we? We have these anthems and we kind of go, why? I, I was reflecting, going, why do, we, why do I get moved by this? Why, why do I need this? And, and the answer, to me at least, is because life is hard, isn't it? Be, because tomorrow's Monday, and we go at it again. It, as beautiful as this Sunday is, it turns into Monday, and Monday means all that stuff that's coming your way. And as wonderful as we have this morning, the opportunity to celebrate mothers, mothering's still going on long after the dinner is done, and soon there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? I mean, that's life. That's, that's, and we, so we need this. And if we are going, I want to suggest to you this morning, if we are going to live a life that matters, a life that matters now and for eternity, it will require courage. It will require that you have a life that is intertwined and saturated with significant amounts of courage. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 7 through, uh, well, I'll just start at verse 7. But before we get there, I want, to, I want to set the context for this particular passage because 
what you're going to see is the part we'll read is actually a part where there's Peter and John are actually standing on trial, as it were, before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of, of the day. And they're going to stand there on trial. But before that, the reason they're going to stand on trial is because of what happens in chapter 3. And you can take time this afternoon to read it for your own, on your own. But, but Peter and John were in the temple around 3 p.m. the day before. And they were making their way into the temple in order that they could pray. And while they were there, while they were on their way, then there was this man who was a beggar, and he is lame, he can't walk, and so he's asking them for money. And then um, Peter says what has sort of become like a, a pretty popular phrase, uh, he says, gold and silver, I don't have that. I don't have money to give you, but what I do have, I'll give you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand and walk, or walk. And then he takes him by the hand. And then the man stands. And then he starts walking around the temple. He doesn't just start walking around. The, he starts jumping around the temple courts. And people look at And all of the, this creates quite a stir. And so the temple guard come. And then they, they come along with those who are part of the ruling council. And they arrest them. They arrest Peter and John, and they take him to jail. It's now towards the end of the day. It's towards the, the afternoon. is waning on. And so they stay in jail overnight. And then now the next morning, then they are brought to trial before the ruling council. And that's where we find Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to take this, pick up the, the account in verse, verse 7. In verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Now, and this, of course, meaning the healing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people... If we are being called here to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, to sh to ask how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's just pause there. If we are going to live a life that matters from now and to eternity, then it will be a life that requires significant courage. And what I'm going to suggest to you, it needs to be courage that is actually built on conviction. And what we have in the passage that I just read for you here was the conviction that actually comes on Peter and John, the significant conviction that where he finds. This is because this is keeping in mind that Peter and John were now in front of the rulers. Now, let me give you a picture of this. So they would have been elevated, and then they would have been sitting in a sort of a semicircle, and then down below would have been John and Peter, and they are kind of looking up. And it's an intimidating situation because these, these men uh, hold their future in their hands. And there they were in this intimidating position. This is where they were. And then they say, by what power? In what name or by what name did you do this? And Peter, Peter, Peter goes, are you kidding me? You, you put us in jail last night and now you're bringing us here to ask us about an act of kindness that we did for a lame man? Is that really what we're here to talk about? Okay, but since you asked... Since you asked, let me tell you, it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's what it is. It was in the name, do you remember him? 
Do you remember Jesus? Of course they did, because they were the same council that wanted to have Jesus killed. They were the ones who were plotting and were working for the death of Jesus, the same group of folks. Do you remember, you remember that Jesus, the one you wanted killed? It's in his name. And he, he continues on. The man that you crucified. This was the same council that wanted Jesus dead, plotted to have Jesus dead, and, he, and Peter just stands there and says, oh, it's in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who you wanted dead, the one you crucified, and who God raised from the dead. The one you wanted dead, but God raised him from the dead, and it is in the power of his name, the name of the risen Christ, that this man stands before you healed today. Look at the conviction of, of Peter as he's standing there, as he's teaching them, talking to them, answering their questions. And then he continues on. He's not done yet. Then he begins to quote from Psalm 118, and he says, this Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. You're the, you're the spiritual leaders of God's community. It is you who are the ones who are supposed to be building the spiritual kingdom of God, and it is you who are the ones who rejected this Jesus. You're the ones who rejected the spiritual leaders. You're the ones who rejected the very one who has become the foundation of God's kingdom, the one who is Christ. It is you. Then he says, then he gets to the core of his conviction. And if you are a Christian here this morning, it must be the core of your, the core of your conviction, for it is the very core of the Christian gospel. He says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's the very core of the Christian gospel. There is no other way for man to be reconciled to God than through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In Christ and in Christ alone can salvation come to man, to humankind. Some of you are here this morning and you say, well, there he goes again. I tell you what, there's so many things about Christianity that I just really like, I just, that I really enjoy. I just, there's just things about it, you know, I really enjoy the teaching and the, the, the moral teaching that comes with Christianity. I really enjoy the hope. It's a, really, it's a really happy bunch of people that enjoy Christianity. I really appreciate that. I really like the fact that they give dignity to people because they believe that people are made in the image of God. I really enjoy that about Christianity. But now you're getting to that point, here you're back on that Jesus bit again. And it's, it's just when you get there, and that's my trouble, when we say that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way uh, to, 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 to find salvation. I don't like having to tell people that they have to leave their religion in order to be able to find God, as if they have to embrace Jesus in order to do that. I, I'm not comfortable with that. How, it just seems so narrow. I mean, aren't there anything good that comes from these other religions? Surely, there's, are, are you saying there's nothing good? No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that there isn't wisdom. I'm not saying that there isn't moral teaching that comes from other religions. And neither is Peter. But what Peter is actually saying is that when it comes to the matter of salvation, when it comes to reconciling humanity to God, his, their creator, then there is only one name that can reconcile humanity to God, and that is Christ. That is his son, Jesus Christ. And no other 
no other religion is there a prophet from the religion that claimed to be the Savior. Let's examine it this way. What is our biggest problem? What, what is our biggest problem? What, what do we need to be saved from? Let's keep that question in our mind. If, if, we were to look into, if you were to look into Buddhism, they would say that our biggest problem is caused by our desires, by our self-centeredness, by our always grasping for more, right? And we would agree there's, this is a problem. Our desires, our self-centeredness are always grasping for more. And here's how you fix it. Here's the salvation, right? Here's the answer. That's our problem. And what's the answer? The answer, according to Buddhism, is therefore you must overcome it. Your biggest problem is your desires. It's your self-centeredness. It's your over-self-centeredness. It's your continual thirst and longing for more. And so therefore, the salvation comes when you are able to overcome it. Buddha's last words that he spoke were, strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. So how is salvation found in Buddhism? It's by striving and striving and striving and striving to overcome, to overcome your self-centeredness and desire and this grasping for more. Hinduism is not far away. Hinduism, of course, teaches karma. And the idea is that you must overcome yourself, your, your selfishness, your desires, your striving for more in this life. And if you don't do it in this life, then you come back again and get another shot at it. And you keep doing it over and over and over, and it's karma. So how has salvation happened? Well, eventually, one of these lives, you'll get it right, or you won't, and you'll keep going after it again. Or what about Islam? Well, at least when we find in Islam, what we find is that God is, Allah is merciful. There is mercy in these other two forms of way of thinking, these other two world religions. There isn't mercy. It's just purely us going at it, us working, us striving, striving without ceasing. But in Islam, to whom is Allah merciful? Allah is merciful to the one who will pray, the one who will give alms. He is merciful to the one who will strive without ceasing. You only, the only reason you get the mercy of Allah is if you're actually striving and striving and striving. You see, this is the problem. None of them says, it is by this name which you must be saved. None of them. What they are saying is, it is by your name that you must be saved. If you want salvation, then you have to strive without ceasing. You have to keep striving until you've arrived at the place where you've overcome, when you've actually been able to do it. You've been able to strive enough to be able to be saved. So when people hear Peter's words, right, they hear Peter and his words say, there is no other name by which you must be saved. Then they say, well, it's terrible. That's horrible. To say that you have to believe in Jesus, that's the only way in order to be saved. That's just so narrow. You can't, you can't believe in Buddha or you can't believe in Muhammad. That's just such a narrow way to think. Listen, Buddha and Muhammad never claimed to have salvation in our name. Neither Buddha nor Muhammad said, you can have salvation in my name. They didn't say those things. So the choice is not salvation in the name of Jesus against salvation in the name of Buddha or Muhammad. It's not. 
because they never said that salvation came by their name. It's salvation in the name of Jesus or salvation in your own name. Those are the options. Because these other systems, these other teachings are simply a way for you to strive and strive and strive. And so whose name is the salvation in? Is it not your own? It's either a salvation that is offered for you in Christianity because of Christ, because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, or it is in your own striving without ceasing in order that you may somehow be able to arrive. This is where we find ourselves. Christianity is the only way of thinking, the other, only other system, the only religion that says nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I only cling to the work of some, of, by someone who is done on my behalf. And Peter stood before this ruling council. He stood in front of this group with great conviction, and he says, there is no other name from heaven given to humankind by which there they can be saved. There is no other name. This is the same Peter who just weeks before was standing near a burning trash can and is denying Jesus, trying to stay warm. It's the same Peter who was the denier, who was calling down curses upon himself, and now he's standing before the greatest council that has his future in their hands, and he says, there is no other name given under heaven by which men and women can be saved than this Jesus. It is, I suggest to you, if you want to live a life that matters now and for eternity, then you must have a life that is rooted in the conviction of Peter that Jesus is the only way for salvation. And my question for you this morning is this. Do you have this conviction? Is it yours? Because this is the conviction of Christianity, historic and present. And to live a life that really matters for now into eternity, it is a life that is rooted in the conviction that salvation is only through Christ alone. And when you have a life that is grounded on the bedrock of the salvation found only in Jesus Christ, then you can begin to live a life of courage. Then you can begin to live a life of courage. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. When the ruling council saw the courage of these men, when they saw the confidence of these two men, I take great encouragement in this verse because they looked at these boys and they said, they don't have any schooling and they're just ordinary people because I fancy myself quite to, be, to be quite ordinary. And if God can use these ordinary people and give them great courage, then maybe God can give me courage as well. So there they were with this confidence, and the ruling council, these men who are trying to intimidate them, were astonished at the confidence that these men had because it was a confidence that was built on the conviction that there is no other name under heaven by which men and women can be saved. Pastor, my former pastor, Alistair Begg, said it, put it this way. This confidence, the confidence built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, has been the hallmark of the church of Jesus Christ at every moment in history. And in every place on the face of God's earth where the advance of the gospel has taken place. 
Whenever the church has lost confidence in Jesus, in the resurrection, in the Bible, in the truth, in the relevance, in the power of the gospel, then it will inevitably lose the ability to confront the circumstances of the day, and any sense of missionary obligation is absolutely pulverized. If, if when the church of Jesus Christ when you and I lose confidence in Jesus, in the resurrection, in the Bible, in the truth, in the power of the gospel, then you will lose the ability to be courageous in the events of tomorrow. Because Monday is coming, and if you want to stand bold with courage in the face of Monday, then you must, be, must stand on the conviction of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is this conviction on which we stand, that gives courage. And it also, if you do not, if you lose that, then you will have no reason to go talk to your friends and neighbors about Jesus. Why would you? And so your missionary obligation is completely pulverized. And I agree. Because why would you? Why would you? Without this confidence. So rather than living a life that matters, for now into eternity then we've rendered ourselves to just make our way through life, to just get on with getting on. There's a woman by the name of Angela Duckworth. She had a, um, she's written a book, and the book, the book is titled Grit. And she, she does research, and she's been researching, and she's, she does research on um, there are those who are naturally talented in education and in other things, and, and yet they're not always the ones that succeed. There is this others that are able to succeed, and it's grit, she says. They, they have this grit, and it's, it's intimately uh, intertwined with confidence or with courage. There's this grit, and there's how she defines it. She defines grit as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. And here's the difference. She says, you can't teach natural talent. Natural talent is God-given. It happens. But she says grit is something that people can learn, something that they can be taught. It's something that they can have. It's something that they can practice. It's something that they can grow in. And a woman writing for Forbes magazine talking about this book and this research, her name's Margaret Perlis, she says this, courage and grit, it's like a muscle. It has to be exercised daily, and if you do, it will grow, but if ignored, it will atrophy. Courage is like a muscle, that every day you have the opportunity to exercise courage in your life. And if you don't, then it'll shrink, and if you do, then it will grow, and your ability and your ability to grow in courage, you will continue to grow. And if you want to live a life that matters, it will require that you exercise courage, that you exercise courage every day. And it is a courage that is rooted and grounded in the conviction that salvation is only comes in, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. You, it takes courage. It takes courage to live out a life of faith in front of an unbelieving spouse. It takes courage to be able to raise your children to honor and please God. It takes courage for you to start a business or to plant a church. It takes courage to not cut corners at work and risk that your colleagues are going to get ahead of you because you said, I will not do that because I don't want to dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. I suggest to you, it takes great courage. It takes great courage for a single person to remain sexually pure in an over-sexualized context in which we now live. 
It takes great courage for students to be able to not cheat on their homework or cheat on their tests and recognize that all of their friends and neighbors are doing it and they say it's okay and you look weird for not doing it. But you stay to the course because you say, I am going to take courage because of Christ in the honor of his name. It takes courage to be a single parent. It takes courage to confront a friend over poor behavior. It takes courage to love those who are different than you, to love those who are the least and the lonely and the lost and the left out. It takes great courage. It takes great courage to forgive. It takes great courage for us to be able to confront our past. It takes great courage to lead other people. But if you want to live a life that matters for now and to eternity, then it will require great God-given, Holy Spirit-filled courage. I, along with my staff, had the great privilege of this past week of going to attending the uh, Maple Grove Mayor's Prayer Breakfast. And the, the keynote speaker uh, for the breakfast was Rich Sherber, and some of you will know his name because he is the, uh, the president of a Minnesota Adult and Teen uh, Challenge. Uh, recovery um, in, um, yeah, they do, they help with drug and alcohol recovery. And while we were there, we had the privileges, we were sitting there and we were, the, he was there speaking, but he also brought his choir with him. Uh, they're, they're, not, um, they're not the type of choir, when you think of choir, you think of robes and, no. Um, these are recovering addicts that are there. And they sang two songs, and they were singing these songs as recovering addicts about the glory and praises of God and how God helps them overcome and how God helps them persevere. And in between, then there was this, they introduced us to this woman named Olivia. And Olivia was probably, I don't know, late 40s or early 50s. And she had visible burns and burn marks on the side of her face. Half her face had visible burn marks. And she, she went on to start telling her story. She said that when she was four years old, that she, uh, her, her clothing got caught on fire be, well, because of the oven, and so it burned, it burned her body, and so she had uh, over 20, between 20 and 30 surgeries, and she told us how many stitches and all of these things that she had happen all over her body. And she said, but that wasn't the hard part. I could deal with that. It was at 12 years of age when her dad died. After the loss of her father, then she turned to alcohol, she turned to drugs, she turned to one abusive relationship after another abusive relationship after another abusive relationship until she found herself, uh, she found her way to adult teen challenge. And there she met Jesus Christ. There she heard the story that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life for her, he died in her place, and there she learned that she was a new creation. And there she learned that he, that almighty God hadn't despised her, but there she learned that God loved her. It takes courage every single day for her to believe that she's new. It takes courage every single day for Olivia to stand up and put away the fact that she was called ashes, that she was called Frankenstein, and that is not who she is, but she is a daughter who is precious in the sight of almighty God. It takes courage for her to be able to stand up in front of jokers like me and tell the amazing story of Almighty God, of how he has transferred, transformed her life. And it's the same God who gives the same courage to you. When you face your Mondays, when you face your Tuesdays, that is the power of God at work in his church and his people by his spirit. He will give you what you need in order to be able to go and live courageously for him because there is no other name by which men and women must be saved except Jesus Christ. 
conviction that there is no other name. Courage to stand on and live out of that conviction of Christ. And then we must continue. Then we must continue. Verse 18. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The leaders didn't know what to do. They said, we, we can't discredit them because there's the healed man right standing next to them. We can't punish them because all the people are praising God and they're, they're, they're all, all the people are, we can't, we can't punish them. So what we're going to do is we're going to intimidate them. We're going to tell them that they, they cannot, under any circumstances, speak in the name of Jesus. And then they continued to throw threats and to intimidate them all the more. And it was intimidating. Because when you, like Peter, act out in conviction, when you act out of that conviction in courage, then you will face resistance. Then you will face those who try to shut you down. Then you will face those who try to squelch your voice. Then you will face those who try to shut you out. Angela Duckworth, she was asked when she did her studies on grit, she says, why do you do, why do you study grit and perseverance and courage? She says, why? Because life is hard. And because there are just obstacles every day to everything that we want to do. In the face of this counsel, Peter and John said, you judge what is right in God's eyes. You go ahead and judge. But as for me, we cannot help but keep talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Have you seen Jesus Christ at work in your life? Have you seen Jesus Christ transforming you in your life? Have you heard the voice? Have you heard the still, small voice of the Spirit of God at work in you? Has he been wooing you? Has he been drawing you? Have you felt the very power of the Spirit of God? Then how can you not share about what you have seen and what you have heard? You have experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've experienced his work in your life. Do not stop. You must keep continuing on to share the message of Jesus Christ with those who have yet. Why? Because there is no other name by which men and women must be saved. We must keep going. We must keep sharing. We can't stop. We must keep at it. The song that inspires the people of God and this pastor is not a song that I find on the top 40 pop radio hits, as inspiring an anthem as it is, but it is the new song of those who are the child of God that God by his spirit sings in your souls, friends. This is the anthem that you need, and it is only because these ordinary men, they were ordinary men, but they said the observation, which I love, these ordinary men who what? who they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It is the Spirit of God, it is the Spirit of Jesus that sings the anthem, that gives his people conviction, that gives his people courage, that gives us the ability to continue to persevere and to continue on. And this is the song that we must have singing in our hearts if we are going to be the people who live lives that really matter.
May God help us as we seek on, seek to live a life that brings glory and praise to him. Let us pray. Father, we, we come to you not as those who have arrived, not as those who are coming and thinking that somehow if we can just be more courageous, we will earn a better spot with you, we will earn more favor. No, it is we who are coming and saying we want to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and as we cling to you, that you by your spirit will give us the sufficient courage that we will be able to face our Mondays and Tuesdays and that we will be able to carry on and that your name will bring, get all of the praise and all the glory. We come in dependence upon you, which is where we want to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship. My faith will stay.